Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I'm Nike Spaulding, and yesterday we actually finished up with the nations, and today we are going to transition just a little bit and look at what Amos has to say to the uh, nation of Judah. And so let's jump right in. Today we are in Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And this is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So if y'all, if any of y'all are parents or aunts or babysitters or principals or, I don't know, anybody in a position over children, it's so interesting because something happens. It becomes like this age that happens when they know better. You know what I'm talking about? So like, like my niece is about two and a half, three years older than my nephew. And I said about, cause I don't actually know, but anyways, that sounds like a good range. And, um, and there were times that as Jaden's older than Nixon. And so there were times when Jaden and Nixon were both doing something wrong. And I remember I'd come over and I'd be like, Nixon, please stop. Jaden, go to your room. You're going to be in timeout or, or whatever the consequence was. I don't know. You know, it's not often that aunt and I, I'm the fun aunt. I just, I feel like I need to tell y'all that I'm the fun aunt. I don't often get onto them, but, um, I, so whatever it is, let's say you get onto them or some hypothetical kid or whatever. There is this point though, that I feel like the older sibling could potentially look at you and be like, Hey, you really didn't come that hard on Nixon. Like, it feels like he got a little bit of a pass. And I think as parents, babysitters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, principals, humans, we have this moment where we're like, but you knew better. Like there's there's this, yeah, Nixon probably knew better, but we're in a different kind of relationship here than you and I because like we've explicitly talked about this before. Like you knew better. And that's a little bit of what's going on in the passage today, that the level of expectation for Judah compared to the other nations is different. And it's different, we're going to see, because of the relationship that Judah has with Israel. And so one of the things I want you guys to notice in this transition from the foreign nations to now Judah, and remember, Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel. We've got the north, which is Israel, and we're headed in that way. Amos is going to eventually spend all of his energy and attention on the northern kingdom. He's like about to boo up with them, but for now he's kind of, you know, trying out the other water. I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, he's been talking to the nations, trying to get us to agree wickedness should be punished. We're in full agreement wickedness should be punished. And now he's going to do a flyover over the Southern kingdom. And he's like, Hey, I'm not specifically talking to you, but y'all know you're in the wrong too. And that's what today is, is y'all know you're in the wrong. And if you'll notice, what I want us to see is that the language shifts ever so subtly. And what I mean by that is in the, in the nations, in the first two chapters, it was really international war crimes are what's being addressed. You're doing this wrong. I'm going to bring judgment against you. What you're going to see as he talks to Judah and Israel is it's a lot more relational type language um, because they're in covenant. So the things that they're going to do wrong are still wrong. They're no different than what the other nations did. But the types of things that he's going to ding them for are things that they've done that are breaking the covenant. And the covenant is, I mentioned it in the first podcast, but Israel is in a relationship with God in a unique and special way. And the way that they're in relationship is God comes to Moses. So Moses is the is the leader of Israel that has rescued them through God's power through the land of Egypt. So they have been enslaved for 400 years. So the book of Genesis ends with 
Israel's 12 sons going down to Egypt because there's a famine in the land. And then where we open up in Exodus is that they have been enslaved. And that there is now a new Pharaoh who doesn't know, who doesn't remember Joseph is what it says. In other words, there's a new Pharaoh and they've been enslaving the Israelites this whole time. 400 years, God hears their cry and sends Moses to be his prophet. He's like the prophet of all prophets in the Old Testament. He's going to be like the head head honcho prophet. And so Moses comes and helps them come out. Well, now you've got these people who haven't been with the Lord for 400 years, so to speak. I mean, God's with them always, but they haven't exactly, they haven't been their own people. They haven't had their own land. They've been in a pagan country, so to speak, where they've had been around, you know, the the different gods that the Egyptians worshiped. And so as God brings them out, he is beginning to teach them who he is. That's why we believe Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We believe Moses wrote the Torah. And part of the Torah is instructing the Israelites as to who God is and ultimately who they are as well. And then part of that instruction is they get to Mount Sinai and God tells them, I would like to be in a special relationship with you. He gets down on one knee. He's like, girl, we going to do this? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, hold on. Because if you're going to be my girl, there's like a bunch of things that you have to sort of know and understand about our relationship. And that's where we find the Ten Commandments. And then he lays out a bunch of other laws for them. And he's like, girl, you still in? And she's like, we will do all that you commanded. This is a really weird metaphor. But anyways, that's essentially what happens. God comes, says, I'd like to marry you. I'd like to be in covenant with you. And Israel says, oh, yeah, for sure, playa. And then he's like, okay, it's going to look a little different. You can't worship false gods. You can't, you know, you can't defile me. You can't defile your neighbor. You have to, like, care for the outsider. But you also have to be set apart from the outsider. You still in. And they say, we will do all that you command us to do. So they they actually end up worshiping. They actually end up building a false, uh, the golden calf and worshiping an idol afterward. But anyways, neither here nor there. It's cool. They got marital issues. It's fine. They went to counseling and they eventually get married. So they have a covenant. That's what happens at Mount Sinai. So Judah and Israel are in a special relationship with God. That's why when he comes to them, he says, you have rejected the law of the Lord. This is a different language. He's not just saying, hey, you thresh Gilead or you whatever. He's saying, you rejected my law. That law that he's referencing is this law that they said, as a people, we will do all that you've commanded us. The people of Israel are meant to be a people set apart. They're meant to be set apart in order that the glory of God can be on display for the nations around them. They are meant to be a missional people partnering with God in his mission to reconcile the world to himself. And they are forgetting that. And why is that such a big deal? Okay. Well, the law, as you know, is often regulatory in that it regulates our behavior. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. There's Scholars have figured out there's 613 Old Testament laws. Many of them are telling you what not to do and many of them tell you what to do. So it is regulatory, but the law is also revelatory in that it reveals to us what God is like. It's regulatory and then it tells us how to behave and how to be the people of God. But if you peel back the layers of the law, it also begins to reveal to you what is it that God cares about and what is it that God's like. There's all these laws that are meant to protect the weak and the foreigner and the, and the vulnerable. So what is God like? Well, God cares about the weak and the vulnerable, and the foreigner. There are all these laws that are meant to maintain justice and righteousness. So what is God like? He is a God of justness, and he is a God of righteousness. 
And so the law, when you forget the law of the Lord, it's not that God's up there in heaven and he's just like, oh, these disobedient children, obey me. You must obey me. Like God absolutely cares about our obedience. But on a deeper level, his care for us is that if we forget his law, it is on par in some ways with forgetting what he's like. The reason why the law exists is for our good and his glory and for the glory to be on display for all of those around us, right? That, that's what's going on here. And so when he comes to Judah, it's not, hey, hey, you were violent against these people and so now I'm going to burn you down to the ground. No, no, no. The language changes and he's like, you have forgotten my law. And because of that, you are forgetting what I'm like. You're forgetting what I'm like. We're in relationship together. Remember, we're booze, we're bays, we're each other's everything. And they're forgetting the law of the Lord, which means they're in grave danger of forgetting what God is like. And then he says, their lies have led them astray, which another way of saying uh, you have been practicing idolatry. And then he says, those after which your fathers have walked, which is his way of saying, this is not new. This is a generational problem. You guys have this tendency to worship idols. And I already mentioned it. Like they have literally got God in a figurative way, (laughs) literally figuratively. That was terrible. They in Exodus have God metaphorically on one knee saying, I would like to be in a special relationship with you. He gives them the terms of the covenant and they say, we will do all that we can, that you have commanded us. Moses, who's the mouthpiece between God and the people, that's what it is to be a prophet, the prophet Moses, goes back up the mountain to talk to God to sort of finalize this. And in the meantime, the people create a golden calf upon which which they can worship. They wanted something created. They wanted to be able to see the God or see something physical upon which they could worship. Okay, so this is a huge problem that's been going on in the nation of Israel, both Judah and Israel, for a really long time. That's why he's saying this is, you're, you're following these idols in the same way that your fathers have done. And this is really intimate language because ultimately idolatry is so dangerous because you're placing something in the place of God. Idolatry is simply worshiping anything other than God in, in its most simple form. Well, why is that so dangerous? Well, if we're not careful, the whole reason why we think idolatry is so bad is because God is this incredibly jealous God, which he is, but he's jealous because he's a narcissist and he's like, I don't get it. Like, what do they see in that calf that they don't see in me? Like, I could be a calf if I wanted to be. I could totally be a calf. Jesus, tell him I could be a calf. Holy Spirit, tell him I could be a calf. Father, tell him I could be a Like, that was a weird way of defining the Trinity, but you get my point. That's not what our triune God is doing. Instead, our triune God understands how he's made us in his image, and he also understands how he's made the human soul. And he's, he's fashioned us in such a way, in this incredibly beautiful way, that we eventually start to become like and become what we worship. And this is good news because if we worship the triune God, guess what we eventually become like? We become like the triune God. It's really incredible. So when when the Holy Spirit says, hey, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we worship a God who has all these characteristics and bounties and never-ending supply, we will then begin to take on these, these characteristics of God that are communicable to us. That if we will worship the triune God, the true triune God, then we will begin to become like God which is what we were intended to be all along, that we bear his image. And as we grow in the sanctification process and as we worship God truly, it somehow 
and the mystery of God results in his glory and our good. That is good news. Your worship of God is not in vain. It is instructive and formative to you and develops you as a human being made in the image of God. So what happens when you worship idols? Same thing, just the negative side of that. If you worship in America, which is easy to do, the Kardashians or whatever, and this is, I just like dated this podcast and, and, or whatever, fame, materialism, wealth, whatever that is, you will start to become hollow and shallow. You will start to seek after riches on this earth rather than riches in heaven. You become what you worship. So when you create idols like your fathers have done, which is what he's saying to Judah, you are in grave danger of becoming like the thing that you worship. So a, a very clear example, and I got this from JT English, who leads the, the Village Institute. Shout out to them. Great work. If you go to the Village, I don't know why you haven't applied yet. Get, get in on that. It's good stuff. But I remember JT talking about this, is that his example that he pulls from Scripture, I think is so brilliant, is that um, there's a story in the Bible where the Philistines have stolen the Ark of the Covenant, which is this Ark that the Israelites are supposed to carry, and it has things in it that remind them of who God is. It's got um, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. It's got bread. It's got all this stuff. Well, the Philistines have stolen it, and they've put it in this tent where they have their God, and it's God named Dagon. And they put the Ark in there, and Dagon, because God has a sense of humor, <laughs> knocks it over on his face which is hilarious, that their God's like bowing down before the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, that's just good writing. That's good humor. So they come in and they're like, that's odd. Very quizzical. Let's go ahead and put that thing back up where he belongs. There you go, God. Go ahead and sit up there, buddy. Sorry about your face. And then does it again. Does it again, and then his head falls off. Okay, this is just hilarious, y'all. I mean, God is like, y'all think your Dagon is so stinking powerful? First of all, you stole my art, give it back. Second of all, because you're not giving it back, I'm going to show you what happens if you don't give it back. Head falls off. Hilarious. Fast forward. If you guys remember the story of a very famous Philistine, it's Goliath, that big old strapping giant that he was. And he's going around terrorizing the people of God. And if you remember, there was this little boy named David who eventually becomes Mighty David. And he's like, um, I'm sorry, is this guy shaming the God of Israel? He's like, I defy you in the name of angel armies. It has this whole speech. And you're like, yeah, you go, boy. But also, um you see that's a giant, right? And he's like, yeah, 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 I ain't tripping. I got God on my side. And so David, very bravely and courageously and faithfully, might I add, takes out his stone and hits the Goliath in the side of the head, down goes the big guy. got to watch out for those rocks, big guy. And uh, and then David comes over. If y'all remember, this is so cute, the story, but remember, this is the part that I think doesn't get emphasized enough. And then David cuts off his head. Think about that. Goliath worshipped Dagon. Dagon gets his head fallen off by God. And then what do you know? God allows David to be the one that takes the giant's head off the one who he used to worship Dagon. That is an incredible picture for us in the scriptures. Shout out to JT. Thank you for that. You become what you worship. So when God is coming to Judah and he's using the messenger Amos, who lives in Judah, by the way, he's talking to his own people at this point. And the introduction for three transgressions and for four, Judah, here's the accusation. It's not an international war crime. It's that you have forgotten my law, which means you're starting to forget what I care about. You're forgetting how you're supposed to behave, but you're also forgetting what I'm like behind that law, what it reveals about me, what I value, what I care about. 
and you're starting to worship things that will only lead to soul rot. Idolatry leads to soul rot. Worship of God leads to our, our development. It leads to our goodness. It leads to our wholeness. It leads to our integration. It leads to the fruit of the spirit. It leads to the completeness. It leads us to God. Let's just not forget about that. It results in the glory of God. It results in those around us saying, you seem different. And you say, may I tell you more? And so this is a very different pivot that we're going to see in the book of Amos. And this is what we're going to see is that next tomorrow or, or whenever we're going to, we're going to look at how he starts talking to Israel in the same way. But this is what's going on is that the people of God are different. And so if you're listening to this and you're part of the people of God, you need to understand something. You have been set apart. You, you are a light and a candle. You should not put it under a bush. You're a city set on a hill. You're a salt that shouldn't lose its saltiness. And why? It's because if you will know who God is and worship the true God, you will start to be transformed in ways that you look more like God. And then that allows you to partner with him in a lost and dying world who says, I need more peace. I need more love. I need more mercy. And when the people of God recognize that, then suddenly we start to become a conduit of grace and mercy to people all around the world who need to hear and know that there's a God of love and justice and mercy and goodness and grace and forgiveness out there who put us here to be his representatives. Sorry, so what is this? Is I would be very careful about what you worship. I just would. I think I would, if I were you, I'd... Because uh, I'm going to do it myself after I hit stop on this recording and just take some stock and some inventory. I think the big so what for us is, are we worshiping God or are we worshiping man-made things? Do we worship the gifts or the giver of the gifts? You can like your money, yo. You can like the way you look. But are you worshiping it? Or are you setting your heart and your eyes upon the one true God? who when you worship him somehow in the beautiful mystery that is the goodness of God, it results in his glory and our good. Let's run toward that, friends. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do, but way more importantly, God does. Peace out, friends.